November 4th, 2021. We're in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, six lines from the bottom. The Gemara class this morning and throughout the week is donated by Jenny and Joey Levy in honor of the birth of their new daughter. So the Gemara, uh, if you recall, had recorded those opinions of Bili Ezer and Biyahoshua as to when the world was created and as to when many other things took place over the course of our historical consciousness. And so at the bottom, we pick up on the next thing on that list, Berosh Hashanah, it's in the middle of the line here, six lines from the bottom, Berosh Hashanah nifkeda Sarah Rachel Vehana. Everybody agreed to that. That wasn't a dispute. Both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua claimed and stated that on Rosh Hashanah nifkeda, the word pikadon means to be remembered. So, so to speak, the conception took place on Rosh Hashanah for Sarah, of course, was barren, Rachel and Hannah. All of those are our classic biblical akarot. These are the women who were barren. There's Each of them. You're walking into this one. Judah did this yesterday. He was sorry I spent 10 minutes on this. <laughs> the answer in this context. No, no, that one, that one was different than this one. This one will be along the lines of what Rosh Hashanah is in the context of Zikaron. This is going to be Pekida, Zikaron. It means Rosh Hashanah is a time of some sort of communion with self and God. Uh, to just put it in very briefly other words, I always say that Rosh Hashanah should not be known as the day of Zikaron because if it's a day of Teshubah, it means I'm looking forward and looking to erase the past to a, to a large extent. And yet we describe it as a day of Zikaron and the day on which each of these were, quote, remembered. What's the concept? How does, it, how does Rosh Hashanah in any way? And we spend a whole segment of Musaf talking about Zikronot. What I've suggested is the word Zikaron doesn't mean history. Zikaron means memory, similar to what I talked about on Friday night this past week. Memory is very different than history. History is something in the past. It's gone. I can try to remember it, I can forget it, it has no significance and any bearing on what I am, who I am right now. Memory is qualitatively different. Memory means what took place in the past is directly affecting me in this moment. So to first give the classic example I give for this, and if you've heard it a lot of times, I'm sorry, but it's just worth it because it's necessary to explain this one to you, uh, is my son had, a, had an assignment on 9-11 a few years ago and his teacher assigned him Speak to one of your parents and, have that, and then write down their memory from that day. So he interviewed me. I'm generally speaking the one with the memory in the marriage and the household. So he's writing it down. My wife, who was with me on 9-11, walked into the room in the middle and she's listening. And she said, that's not true. That's not what happened. And that's not what happened either. And this isn't what happened. Abba, da, Abba that's how I'm known in the family. He got some of the details. My son only wanted to finish his homework, get back to his iPad. Looks up and what, what am I supposed to do? So I said, listen, your assignment was not a history assignment. That would have been a book or the internet or whatever. This was a memory. I have one memory and Ima has a different memory and they're both, here's the word, true. How could they both be true? Because memory reflects what the past does to me right now. And that's painted by what took place after that occurrence. The context of our lives causes us then to reflect backward and redefine something that took place in the past, which means to say, irrespective of the actual occurrence in our lives, the way that day was translated by us in the future, that's a memory. We turn to God on Rosh Hashanah in the context of Teshubah, for example, and we say to him, remember us for good. What do you mean remember us for good? You did bad. How can I remember that for good? You say, but look at who I became as a result of that bad. 
I did X, Y, and Z, but I, in this moment, have become who I am, and I'm looking to the future to further my way in that path toward good, only because of the past. So ironically then, the negative of the past is redefined by memory as being something positive. That's zikaron of this day. So the opportunity for them, quote unquote, to tap into zikaron, to develop a relationship with God in which their lives now are interpreted differently, of course that was going to take place on Oshana. That's the appropriate time. Of course, of course. So the paradigmatic the paradigmatic, the greatest example of memory is when God says, I had zikaron of this person. But each of us are seeking zikaron. It's a day of zikaron. Zochreinu l'chayim. We turn to God and we ask him for zochreinu l'chayim. Absolutely. You know, I'm not certain if this is true. But the very, the very verb of memory is remembering, right? Which means it's kind of existed as something and now I'm remembering it. I'm associating it in my life. That's what we're turning to God to do. We want him to have memory. We don't want him to be dealing with us in a historical fashion. Historical fashion, what's in the past is done. There's no, there's no recreating it. There's no recrafting, no reinterpreting. Memory is Sarah Rahel Hana in the development of this relationship. I told you would be sorry. We're 10 minutes in. I'm still uh, waxing poetic. And that, in truth, is what Rosh Hashanah, that opportunity at the beginning of year is. But Rosh Hashanah, nifkeda Sarah Rahel Hana min Nalan, says the Gemara, what's our... Remez ba pasuk. It's not going to be a source per se. The pasuk never says it explicitly, barely says it implicitly. But can I point to something that will give me a remez, some sort of hint toward the lines that each of these were remembered and conceived on Rosh Hashanah? Amar bil Azar atya pekida pekida ve atya zechira zechira. Anytime, generally speaking, in the Gemara, you have two words next to one another. It's what we call a gezera shava. A word is used in two places in the Torah, and we have a tradition to link them up. Fascinatingly, over here, we have two words and then two words again. It's a double, it's a twofold gezerah shavah, which means to say, we're going to link up the word pikida in two places, derive something from that, and then we're going to take one of those pikidas and notice a word zechira and link that up to another place. You'll have this rarely where the rabbis are really seeking to derive a law and they'll link you along. They have a double tradition which they link together. Here's how it goes. Ketiv berachel, on the one hand, the pasuk says, by rachel, vayizkor Elohim et Rahel. So that's the conception of Rahel, God, so to speak. And several weeks from now, we'll read in the parasha. Remembers Rahel, uktiv behana, vayizkerea Adonai. So we're linking Rahel and Hana, each of them in terms of the memory of God to them for the conception of the baby is similar. That still didn't tell me anything about Rosh Hashanah. Ve'atya zechira zechira me Rosh Hashanah dichtiv shabbaton zichron teru'ah. And, and, and furthermore, the Pasuk says, by Zechira in Rosh Hashanah, by the context of Rosh Hashanah, it says Shabbaton, it'll be a shutdown day, Zichron Teruah. Of course, the rabbis interpret that, if you recall, as when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbat. But irrespective, the Pasuk describes Rosh Hashanah as a day of Zikaron. I mean, you couldn't find a greater biblical source of Rosh Hashanah being a day of Zikaron for all of us than Zichron Teruah. Well, that being the case, I now have associated the Zikaron of Rachel of Hannah with Rosh Hashanah. But what about Sarah? We need a little bit of involvement from Sarah. Pekida, Pekida, I then have a further linking, I and mean, we don't have the word Zechira by Sarah, but we do have the word Pekida 
both by Sarah and by Hannah. Ketiv b'Hana ki pakad Adonai Hana. Ketiv b'Sarah v'Adonai pakad et Sarah. So the pasuk by Sarah and by Hana uses the word pekida. We have a tradition to link them one to the other. What's that linking them for? Both wonderful women, absolutely. But more specifically, the pekida, the zikaron, the memory of God, is going to be interpreted in an almost identical fashion as well, leading us back to. Rosh Hashanah. What's the significance of it, aside from perhaps a historical phenomenon? As we discussed, it's the day of Zechira. As a result, we're going to remember the most important or the most well-known foundational Zechirot that we can that we can think of. That's Rosh Hashanah. Continues the Gemara. Be Rosh Hashanah Yasa Yosef and Beta Asurim. Right. The Gemara the Gemara said that on Rosh Hashanah Yosef left the, the, the prison in Egypt, and furthermore, Am Yisrael's servitude in Egypt in Misraim stopped as well. The Avdut Nitbatela. Although we only left in Nisan on Rosh Hashanah on Aleph Betishrei the. The, the, the rabbi's vision is, that's when the servitude stopped. And this we discussed as well, Rosh Hashanah is a day of freedom. I mean, you can link that really up to the Zechira, but it's a day of freedom. It's a day of self-freedom. It's a day on which, through the cry of the shofar, through our own personal cries, we feel freedom, freedom from the past. I was stuck in my ways. I had this historical vision of who I am. I was stuck and couldn't get out of that. Rosh Hashanah is the opportunity to arrive at a Rosh Talked about it in my Derashan Rosh Hashanah. Shana, generally speaking, is Milashon Lishanot. It's a circular vision, something that repeats itself. Something that repeats itself doesn't have a beginning. Look at a circle, there's no beginning, there's no end, unless you stop it and then begin it again. So that's what Rosh Hashanah is. It's putting a Rosh, putting a head to something which appears to have no head. That's freedom. I'm stuck in a circular motion. I'm just continuing and repeating and repeating. I stop that and I give it a rosh. I make a break in that circle. I restart it and here's my new shana. That's the description of freedom on Rosh Hashanah. Again, it's the cry of the shofar, which represented deror. It was the herut. It was the freedom on Yom Kippur for the slaves, for the land. It in turn on Rosh Hashanah as well represents a certain freedom. Self-freedom. You have some sort of remez, bapasuk, that tells you Yosef's freedom day was Rosh Hashanah. The Pasuk, if you recall, with reference to, as we understood it, Rosh Hashanah, we saw this two pages ago, in the, three pages ago in the Gemara. Right, that's the description of the holiday, which is on the day at the beginning of the month, which, as Rashi explained, is when the moon is still somewhat, appears to be covered. That's Rosh Hashanah, and the Pasuk says as well, the Pasuk right afterwards talks about this being a day on which Yosef Yosef seems to be going out on Egypt on that same day. That's the Dirashaf and Pasuk. Uh, how do you have a source, a remez, a hint in the Pasuk for our freedom, our initial freedom, not an actual freedom, because we're still in Egypt, but our initial freedom in Egypt, wherein 
Then we didn't have to work any longer. Whereas Hakadosh Baruch Hu's promise at the beginning of Parashat Vaera is, "I'll take you out from Sivlot Misraim, the bondages, the servitude, the torturings of Misraim." And the pasuk says in that same context, and that means more in Tehillim, "Hasiroti mi sevel shichmo." So the pasuk, "Mi sevel shichmo Sivlot Misraim." We're linking one with the other, and we're envisioning it in turn as in the same Mizmor that I'm talking about as we're interpreting it. Rosh Hashanah mentioned not only Yosef's freedom, but Sevel Shichmo. Sevel is the word that we're associating with. Misraim, freedom from Misraim, took place on this day as well. Binisan Nigalu Kedeita says the Gemara onward. How do you know that in Nisan we had our ultimate redemption from Egypt? That's a We already spent some time explaining how we know that's a reference to Nisan onward. Right, the opinion of the Yehoshua was in the future we will be redeemed, meaning Yemota Mashiach in Tishre. How do you know that, Rabbi Yoshua? Atya shofar shofar. There's a gezerah shavah. It's a similar word in two places. It's the word shofar, representing again freedom. On the one hand, it says ketivacha tikubachodesh shofar. In the context of Rosh Hashanah, that means more in Tehillim, it says tikubachodesh shofar. Uchtiv hatam. And in the context of Yemota Mashiach, the pasuk in Yeshaya says, Bayom ahu yitaka b'shofar gadol. So the pasuk, give me one second. Pasuk describes that. Yemota Mashiach. You'll see on the shofar as well. The shofar our linkage one to the other is not only in terms of how we're going to demonstrate this in a physical or a spiritual conceptual fashion but in terms of the date as well yes Charles Well, similar to Egypt, you're saying? Yeah, the, 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 the work will stop on Tishrei, but he'll tell us that we'll have redemption on Nisan? You know, I, I don't know that that's explicitly stated. So that's the next opinion. It's the next opinion. Excuse me, this is Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. I said Rabbi Yoshua. The next opinion will be Rabbi Yoshua. Uh, so, and Rabbi Yoshua will, will link it to Nisan, you know, appropriately so. What you, what you are doing, though, is similar to our Rabbeinu Taman Daf Kafzain, who told us that creation of the world, one said Tishrei, Rabbi Eliezer, one said Nisan, Rabbi Yoshua said Rabbeinu Tam. They're both true. How are they both true? One was the beginning, the thought, and the other one was the actuality. You're saying it's the same thing over here. In Yomot HaMashiach, so to speak, God will begin the process in Tishrei, and he'll end it in Nisan, which is truthfully what the Gemara is kind of stating, according to everyone, with redemption from Egypt. It's saying that the servitude stopped in Tishrei, that set the seeds for actually leaving, which only took place in Nisan. It's a nice suggestion. I don't know that anyone says it explicitly, but it certainly works to say Elu Elu Elohim Hayim on this as well. So Gemara Fascinating. In other words, all we're saying is Tishrei. We're not even saying Aleph B'Tishrei. You say it's, it makes sense for Kippur. Kippur is the day of Deror. The, 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 Kippur is the day of ultimate redemption. Very possible because we don't say Aleph. We don't say Rosh Hashanah. As Jeffrey pointed out in the initial description of that Beraita, we never, on some we said Berosh Hashanah, on others we said B'Tishrei. This one we only mentioned Tishrei. All right, anyway, and, and, and in truth, Yisiyah Mitzrayim didn't take place on the first, right? Yisiyah Mitzrayim took place later on, took place... 
after the 14th. All right, says the Gemara over here, the other opinion, that of Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua, does he have some sort of rim, some sort of hint in the Pasuk that tips him off to the fact that the ultimate redemption will take place in Nisan? He says it goes like this, the Pasuk says, Amar kera lel shimurim. The Pasuk with regard to Yesiyat Mitzrayim, and this is what Charles was referring to, refers to it as the night of, a hard word to translate, shimurim, safeguarding, Protection, <laughs> anticipation, right? Aviv, that's how they translate it? Yeah. Beautiful. Aviv which we'll read about in several weeks, Parashah, about Yaakov thinking and realizing and anticipating the fulfillment of the dreams of Yosef. It's Leil Shimurim, but nobody's fully certain how to. Yeah. No, I mean it. All the Mephashim deal with what does it mean, Leil Shimurim? What is that Shimira that's taking place? But anyway, anticipation is a perfect translation. So it's a night of anticipation. Uh, now it's in, written in plural. It's not even a night of singular anticipation. It's a night of many anticipations. How so? From the beginning of creation, the six days of creation, that was the night, the night in Nisan of Yisya Mitzrayim, which was set and set aside, which is also Shemira, something that's set aside for future redemption. Future redemption, not in the singular, but in the plural, redemptions, both from Egypt and from world servitude. In other words, Yemota Mashiach, that's the description that we have. Let me just remind you one more time. This is Rabbi Ezer and Yoshua debating the months of Tishrei and the month of Nisan. Tishrei, we could and should associate more with a godly state of being. Tishrei is Reshit, it's the same letters leave out or add in an aleph of Reshit, beginnings. Tishrei is the month which is most associated with a godlike way of things. Nisan is the month of miracles which generally speaking are associated with us as human beings. It's the, night, it's, the, it's the day or the month in which we built the Mishkan. It's the human side of matters. The difference between Yemot HaMashiach as well is described here as either Tishrei or Nisan. Think about that and think as well how the Hachamim have those words in Sefi Yeshaya, if I'm not mistaken, Be'ita Ahishena, that Yemot HaMashiach, the end of days will come, Be'ita Ahishena, which seems to imply, they suggest, two separate paths, pathways. Either God will determine this is the time. You guys are not really ready for this, but I got to bring it, Mashiach. We're at a state of being in which I've set a certain limit and we're there. Alternatively, Achishena, I'll feel it because of your activities. The truth is there's two opportunities in our own advancement in relationships with one another, in relationships with God, and relationships with God as the source of existence. Are we the ones, so to speak, who are running this relationship? Of course, with his fuel, but he's allowing us to do so, and we're the one who's first furthering it, or do we need more of his pushing? That's the Tishrei and Nisan conception as well. Well, anyway, that's the description of Rabbi Yoshua. What's that? No, Nisan being our involvement. Nisan is a chodesh hazelachem, the rishon who the chodesh hashana. Tishrei is reshit. It's the beginning. That's the God realm. That's Rosh Hashana as we think of it. Yom Hadin. It's the month of Din. It's the Yom Kippur on the day on which, yeah, we put in our, but we get the tahara from him. That's Tishrei. Nisan is the day on which we are empowered to establish this month to build the Mishkan and so forth. That's the two different visions of Rabbi Eliezer and Bioshua throughout, down to which is a little counter. In 
intuitive, unless you think about it, down to Yemota Mashiach. Come on, Yemota Mashiach is the most external thing you can imagine. It's coming from God. We're not powering redemption. I mean, this is, this is uh, fuel for you know, a staunch Zionist to say. You see, there's an opinion who says Nisan. Nisan means we need to push this through. Of course, you have to remember this is pushing through together with God's involvement. No question. But that's the description here in the Gemara of a Nisan or a Tishrei, which I'm telling you is two prongs in a relationship different times being fueled in one way or being primarily fueled in one way over another. We know it in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with anyone and everyone else. Relationships are never or are rarely perfectly balanced. There's the Tishrei aspect of the God relationship where we feel as if he's showering us more than we are, so to speak, putting into it. And then there's the Nisan side of it where we feel as if this relationship is developing and being furthered through our own involvement, through our own efforts. That's description down to Yomotim says the Gemara, what is the other opinion? That of Rabbi Eliezer. How does he explain that pasuk of Leil Shimurim? After all, the pasuk said Leil Shimurim, which Rabbi Yoshua interpreted as Leil HaMeshumanu Ba Mesheshit It's the night which is set aside for redemption. First from Egypt, and then Yomot HaMashiach. So, of course, he doesn't need to defend it, but says the Gemara, Bili Ezer, can you defend this? How would you interpret that pasuk? He says, it's a Leil HaMeshumanu Uba Yes, it's certainly a night of not only anticipation, but a night in which it's safeguarded in the regular interpretation, the most standard interpretation of shemira from the mazikin. Mazikin means those who would get, do harm. Oftentimes in the Gemara, those who would do harm being used in that word, mazikin is a reference to demonic forces, forces from without, and not necessarily a physical force, but a metaphysical force, so to speak, the bad angels of sorts. That's mazikin, hard, to, for, hard for me to define exactly what that means, but even if you're to rationalize mazikin as those who will physically harm you, those who will be a, da- a danger to you. The description is, this night is a night set aside, so to speak, when God is it has an enhanced protection. Now, it sounds like a nice idea, a nice thought, or perhaps concept or philosophical. It ha- happens to have this Gemara, well-known halachic ramifications. You see, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat and Kaftal, it says that on Friday nights, what we do is, contrary to Arbit throughout the week, we add on a specific prayer after the Amidah. It's called Beracha Hatme'en Sheva. The Hazan repeats the Amidah in an abridged format. But well, we never do that. We don't have Hazara in, in Albit. On Friday night, the Hazan, right after the Amidah, we say Vaykhulu, and then he goes into Beracha Hatme and Sheva. Why is he doing so? The Gemara, although not explicit, but it implies is the following circumstance. The synagogues used to be found outside of the city, and it was dangerous to, to travel from the city to the, or the, the place where you were living, to the synagogue, because as you walked through that area, there were no lights, you couldn't have a lantern on Friday night, and you're walking in a dangerous countryside, potentially by yourself, so you wanted to be together with others. You're fearing mazikin, both metaphysical and physical mazikin. You're fearing your own life as you're walking alone in the countryside. All right, fair enough, so finish synagogue and everyone walk home together. The way it works is, I mean, maybe not in your own lives, oftentimes people work very late on Friday afternoons. As a result, they come late to synagogue on Friday night. Come late to synagogue on Friday night. If you finish knees in the regular amount of time, that person who came late, because we assume he's going to be catching up, is going to have to stay later. It's going to be dangerous for him to return home. Say the rabbis, we're going to institute, we're going to give you this in order to elongate the prayer. So even those who came late at the very end, we keep them in the synagogue and they walk back together. 
together. That's the description. You might say it takes us a, a whole of 30 seconds. You haven't been to an Ashkenazic synagogue. They sing it. It's a song. If as long as it's a song, it's two, three minutes. All right, you bought a little time. That's the description. Do we, should we have Beracha Hatme and Sheva on Leil Pesach, on Leil Pesach Shehaliyot Be'ed of Shabbat, which means to say the first night of Pesach, which is known as Leil Shimurim, it's the night on which I'm already protected from the Mazikim, statement of the Gemara, should I now be saying after all, the whole reason I say it is because it's a dangerous a time. But it's not a dangerous time. God's promising in the Torah. It's a leil shimurim. True. Uh, you know, I, I suppose that would enter into the mix, but we always do it on Yom Tov. We don't, we don't distinguish in such circumstances, even though you have the same halakha in those circumstances. You have halela as well. All right, you make the case even better. However, the Gemara and Masechet Pesachim, at the very least, applies this, and Daf Koftet, as Tosafot points out over here, the rabbis were often nervous about doing matters in twos. They called it zugot. They felt that there was a demonic force if you did things in pairs. They would always try to do it three or one, an odd number instead of uh, two, instead of those twos, zugot, on Leil uh, Pesach, wait a second, we have four cups, that's two twos, that's a problem, says the Gemara, don't you know, Leil Pesach is a night on which we're not nervous about those demonic forces, great, as a result, in Siman Taf Pezayin, Tur quotes from Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon, uh, who was quoted in turn by another, that the halakha is, we don't say beracha hat sheva. That's the halakha. If it's a layla hamishumanu bamina mazikin, if it's an in which we're protected by God, what do we need to elongate the prayer? Get home, you're all right, nothing to fear, even if your synagogue is outside of the city, which of course it's not, even if you don't have lives, which of course we do, but we continue that tradition nonetheless. Now that halakha, which is then codified in Shohan Aruch, right there in Simantaf Pezain, caused for Hacham Ovadia Yosef a lot of strife in his life. Because in his Yabiyah Omer Halik Bet, he quotes from Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, one of the great uh, Kabbalists of uh, some time ago, who disagreed with this Pesach Halacha. He said, even on Leil Pesach, Shehaliyot Be'erev Shabbat, you say Beracha Hatmein Sheva. And Hacham Vadya Yosef, in strong wording, disagrees. He says, it's against Shohan Aruch, it's against Tur, and so on and so forth. He goes through it backward and forward. And then he was not attacked, but he was written against by Hacham Ovadya Hadaya and his Shailot Shbot Yaskilabdi in Halik. Vav, he disagrees with him. And then Hacham Vajah responds to him in Yabi'a Omer Chilik Dalit. Now you have to put yourself in context of that time period. Oh, put it in this, this time period. Imagine me. little. I might not have hair. I might have some white coming in, but I'm a little boy. Can you imagine if I'm writing Teshubot, strong Teshubot, even, even if, but it's not the reality, even if I had the, the ability to write those Teshubot, I'm writing against the chief rabbinate of Israel. Uh, not so simple. I'm writing against the accepted establishment of rabbis in the community, and I'm writing to Shabbat, which, yes, I have my grounding. Certainly, I can prove it to you. Well, a little bit. It sounds a little bit too ambitious. So, Hacham Vadya Yosef, in this matter, much like others, but specifically on this one, was attacked. He was attacked by zealots of the time. Hacham David Yosef describes this story in Orhot Maran and Chalakimal. He says that what people started to do was to write, uh, write matters against Hacham Vadya. How can he go against the Zikah? but against Hacham Hadaya, and they wanted to excommunicate him. They showed up at Rabbi Hadaya's house with a kol koreb, with a, a letter in which they were going to excommunicate Hacham Vadya Yosef. What's that? Even though he's going with Shulchan Aruch. I mean, this is the classic story. Chacham Vadya Yosef would always go with Shulchan Aruch against Ben Ishchai. Everybody got angry at him. Over here, it's against Rabbi Shalom Sharabi. That's along the same lines. Ben Ishchai follows Rabbi Shalom Sharabi. But in other words, you're going against the Kabbalistic tradition, which became a norm, 
and you're arguing with Shulchan Aruch. It sounds, you know, you're living after the fact. We will get less nervous about this today because he kind of set the, 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 he laid the foundations for this. So they, uh, they came to Chacham Ovadiah Hadaya and they wanted him to sign on it. And he got up and he started yelling at them and told them, absolutely not. You don't even know who you're talking about. You don't understand anything. You can't even have a conversation with this Chacham Ovadiah Yosef. You don't understand anything of his ways. He's allowed to do so. They said, but look at the wording he uses against you. He says, Kach Torah. That's the way we disagree. We have vehement, strong languages against one another. Might sound violent, but if you're in the game, you understand that's the way we play this game. So they uh, they left, and Chacham Ovadiah Hadaya realized, as uh, Rabbi David Yosef told it, that they're not only going to listen to him, they're still going to go around and cause problems. So he went to another strong, if not the strongest Kabbalistic uh, personality of the time. He went to Rabbi Ephraim Kohen. Rabbi Ephraim Kohen was the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivat HaMekubalim Bet El. And he told him about what's happening. And he said, we have to defend Chacham Ovadiah Yosef. So he got up in his next class in, in, in Yeshivat HaMekubalim, where these zealots were there waiting and ready to bring him the excommunication paper and he talked about this matter and again he himself much as they certainly were on saying that but they're not going to dispute to the extent of excommunication of and with that the matter was somewhat settled it wasn't fully settled because down until today about five years ago Rabbi Yaakov Hillel he should live and be well wrote a long 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 essay maybe 80 pages, maybe not that much, but many pages, defending the Kabbalistic tradition on this, that we should be saying, but again, if, as an outsider, you listen to this, oh, that's, what the, that's what the rabbis are getting all nervous about. Well, in fact, this, this, this creeps up all the time. How often is it? Yeah, more often than you think. It makes for great, it's a great opportunity for me to talk about it. I just, you know, it's, it's a whole Shabbat afternoon class. I can only tell you it's more often than you think because I've done it a few times in the past few years. It means it happened a few times. I don't know. What's the downside to saying it? You are doubting the words of the Gemara and Berachal Vatala. Seventy years ago. But again, it crept up again, and encountering it, the current chief rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, of course, the son of Chambad Yosef, wrote all against it. So the whole matter, this reburgent came to the fore again. I, as I was just saying, as an outsider, really, that's what you're disagreeing about. One beracha, one tefillah on Friday night, on edifice, you know, when is that going to be? That's right, but conceptually, it stands for more than just one circumstance. Certainly, that's the Chacham that's part of his claims. He says, listen, I can understand. Of course, he won't say but on this matter, he's not certain there is a minhag. It's those sorts of issues that go into this discussion. That's, again, it stems from this statement, this innocuous statement of Laila haba u mishumar hamishumar uba min which sounds like just divre agada, just words, you know, they're kind of describing it's an important night, it's a night in which you'll feel protected. No, it's more than that. It's a night in which you'll be protected to the extent that you should not say this. Says Shohan Aruch in the book Derech Eretz, it says that the minhag of the Syrians is not to say it like Shohan Aruch, and that, to the best of my knowledge, is what all the synagogues in our community do. Why would you not say it in a home? All right, it's a good opportunity. We'll talk about this. The question is in a home, the, the takana initially, no, but Joey, the takana initially was only in the synagogue because it was outside of the city. And there was a danger. When you're in a home, there's no longer that danger. You're not walking, you're not going somewhere else. 
Of course, you'll say to me, as I said earlier, but the synagogue is not outside of the city and we have streetlights. Okay, but we keep it on that. We don't keep it necessarily further. There is a question under what circumstances you could or should say it in a home. The minhag of Yerushalayim was to say it in a home and on that, Hacham Vadya Yosef was not so far to pushing it out. He couldn't really defeat that. That was the minhag of Yerushalayim against Shohan Aruch. During the summer a few years ago, so we, it was COVID time and we were praying across the street from the synagogue in Allenhurst. And the Hazan, Alav Hashalom, it was Dave Cohen, David Cohen, he, what's that? David Tal, excuse me, David Tal, Max's brother, David Tal, he said, I was a little scared, you know, David Tal's an old timer, I thought maybe he knew the Syrians do it this way. So I approached him after, I said, are you certain? I, he said, what are you talking about? I didn't know about that, I never would have said it. I told them this at the Shiva, I told, I told his wife, I told the family members, that was the beauty of David Tal. David Tal was an old timer like nobody else, but he wasn't stuck in his ways. He wanted to hear it, he was so excited when I told him something different. I was so scared to tell him, but anyway, yeah, that's, that's that's the reason for homes. Oh, so that's what I was. That's what I was trying to get to. Yes, in a, even in a home, if it's a set minyan and a place which is now nityahed litfila, so under those circumstances as well, according to many, you can and should say beracha had mencheva because it's kind of like a synagogue now. This came up when I was in high school. We went out. We used to go on shabbatons on seminars, and so we. So I was a young whippersnapper, and I was on the seminar, and they started saying beracha had mencheva. So I walked up to the rabbi. I said, "Not supposed to do this. This is not a synagogue." So he stopped it and okay, I made a scene of some sort. Afterwards, Rabbi Prague came up to me. He said, but uh, Avi, understand if it's a set place, which we've established this room as our prayer room, so then according to many post scheme, you could say, even on a regular Friday night. I, was, I, I listened to it, I looked into it, and I accepted I came back as a teacher many years later, and I'm praying on the Friday night minyan, and the rabbi gets up and he says, we don't say berachahat me'en sheva. I walked up to him and I said, what are you talking about? It's an established room. You know, see how things flipped in that respect. But yeah, that's the way it works on that. All right, says the Gemara onward, just a line or two more to, to conclude this. Says the Gemara, ve'azdu leta'amayu. Says the Gemara, the truth is, in disputing this Nisan or Tishrei, they really are consistent with their opinions. And we'll just read the beginning of this as the Biraita says with regards to the time of Noah, the time of the Mabul, when the Mabul began. Pasuk describes it as Bishnat It's in the 600th year of the life of Noah in the second month on the 17th day. What's the second month? I'm not going to read right now the next words because it'll only confuse us as we're finishing the class. But Iyar, of course, is the month after Nisan. That's Rabbi Yoshua, consistent with regards to saying that Nisan should be envisioned as the beginning of the world. Of course, Rabbi Yezer, at the bottom of the page, you'll see it two lines from the bottom. Rabbi Yezer, Omer, it's the second month after Tishrei. So Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Yezer are consistent with regards to what's the first month. I'll pause for a second and we'll conclude with this. How are they consistent? What does one have to do with the other? One's talking about the Mabul, the other one's talking about the creation of the world. And the months of the Torah, we do know, are generally speaking, counted from Nisan. So it's true, it's before we had Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but how could you say this is a consistent statement? I would explain it as follows. The Mabul, the life of Noah, 
is to be, as the Torah is clear or implicit in many places, as to be envisioned as a new creation. If you follow the, the description of the Mabul, there's a shutdown and a turning back the clock, a decreation of what we had. In other words, just to do the most graphic details, uh, whereas day one of creation had water everywhere, that's exactly what happens with the Mabul. The upper waters and the lower waters open up and they kind of come together. That really turns back the clock. And the Pesukim describe how humanity dies and vegetation dies and goes through every one of the days and it's a decreation. And then they come out of the Teva and it's a recreation. And they are told, just like Adam and Chava, Perurvu, Shir it's procreate. It's exactly redoing everything which existed and says God and I'm going to bring back uh, even, nights and days and I'm going to bring back seasons and so forth it's a recreation so if I'm going to envision this as a new creation it stands to reason the Gemara is implying to us that Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi are going to have the same opinions if it's Nisan or Tishrei if it's just a Mabul so it's an occurrence in time who said Tishrei and Nisan if it's a recreation you had a decreation not a recreation so Rabbi Yoshua is going to say the second creation is identical to the first one it's in the month of Tishrei Rabbi Yoshua is going to disagree. It's going to say it's identical to the first one. It's in the month of Nisan. We'll return to this tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen.